live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. And again, I absolutely hate to start this day, and I hate to start this show with some more bad news. And today it's really sad news. Iconic Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach has passed away at the age of 61. And college football is never going to be the same without him. Because the entire sport, and even arguably the NFL itself, changed because of Mike Leach. And I'll get to that momentarily, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Initially, there were reports of a, quote, personal health issue at Leach's home in Starkville Sunday. That led to him being airlifted to the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. Then last night, he passed away due to complications from a heart condition. Again, he was only 61 years of age. Mike Leach, effectively, or I should say affectionately known and appropriately known as the Pirate, he was 158 and 107 as a head coach with stops at Texas Tech, Washington State, and Mississippi State. An amazing career, really. He coached in 19 bowl games. He was a two-time National Coach of the Year, a two-time Pac-12 Coach of the Year, a Big 12 Coach of the Year. So not only did he win, not only did he win in places where you were not supposed to win, but he won big in places where you were not supposed to win. One of the rare college coaches who never played college football and the only major college coach with a law degree, major college head coach. And although I frequently use the phrase one of one and it can be over, overused in cases, this dude truly was that. In a profession where most head coaches say and do similar things, Leach was nothing like the rest. He didn't say or think like anybody else at all. In fact, you never knew exactly what he would say or what he would do. He truly was one and only, the one and only, both on and off the field. He was an amazing offensive innovator, an incredible soundbite, an elite coaching mind, and an elite coaching personality, a prolific figure in college football who never took himself too seriously. In fact, I would say the extremely rare prolific figure in college football who never took himself seriously. A person who was deeply loved, and that was evidenced by the outpouring of emotion and support for Leach and his family over the past 48 hours. His family released a statement this morning which read, quote, Mike was a giving and attentive husband, father and grandfather. He was able to participate in organ donation at UMMC as a final act of charity. We are supported and uplifted by the outpouring of love and prayers from family, friends, Mississippi State University, the hospital staff, and football fans around the world. Thank you for sharing in the joy of our beloved husband and father's life. End of quote. Mississippi State President Mark E. Keenum also released this statement, quote, Coach Mike Leach cast a tremendous shadow not just over Mississippi State University, but over the entire college football landscape. His innovative air raid offense changed the game. Mike's keen intellect and unvarnished candor made him one of the nation's true coaching legends. His passing brings, to, brings great sadness to our university, to the Southeastern Conference, and to all who loved college football. 
I will miss Mike's profound curiosity, his honesty, and his wide-open approach to pursuing excellence in all things. The statement goes on, quote, Mike's death also underscores the fragility and uncertainty of our lives. Three weeks ago, Mike and I were together in the locker room celebrating a hard-fought victory in Oxford. Mike Leach truly embraced life and lived in such a manner as to leave no regrets. That's a worthy legacy. May God bless the Leach family during these days and hours. The prayers of the Bulldog family go with them. End of quote. I mean, it really is so sad and devastating to read these statements, but they are so apropos. Mike Leach, simply put, was a legend. He was an iconoclast. And as many of you know, that includes right here in the jungle. I mean, Mike Leach was a jungle legend's jungle legend. Because, of course he was, right? That's a given. An irreverent mastermind who gave some of the best interview answers ever was always going to fit in just perfectly right here. And he did fit in perfectly right here. I mean, he was simply put, was one of the most unique and fascinating figures that I ever had a chance to chop it up with on this program. You never, ever knew how a conversation with Mike Leach was going to go. That's what made it so amazing. All you knew was that it was going to be enjoyable, entertaining as hell, and really unpredictable. Which feels like the best way to remember him this morning. The best way to remember him this morning and to think back to the moments he came in here where he was just completely and unabashedly himself. Because to me, that was the essence of the man. That's who he was. Again, I've never met a coach in any sport like Mike Leach. I'm not sure I've ever met an individual in any walk of life like Mike Leach. Not saying that he was perfect. I mean, none of us are. But he was perfectly original. And I'm just happy that we got to experience this dude's one-of-a-kind personality on this show as often as we did. Then I'd do prison exercises on my deck. Well, I wanted to be the first one to write a book on Geronimo before all these other football coaches scrambled and wrote their book on Geronimo. Here's one for you. I've never told anybody this. and I'll pro- I might even get in trouble for this. And I got these wet board shorts on. So it's like sitting in a diaper. I've been on uh, Scott Farrell's show before. Sure. Here comes the FedEx guy watching me pace around naked, talking on the radio about football and all this. You remember that big earthquake they had in Washington, D.C., which I didn't even know Washington, D.C. had earthquakes until we're on air and they had an earthquake. Oh, no, I didn't listen to disco. I mean, I, it was, took a little bit of that. And I said, like, hell, this stuff's got to go. At the time, I didn't know what Pokemon was. To me, it seems congruent to having an invisible friend, but I guess this uh, invisible friend may be slightly more exciting or something. I don't know. This big green iguana comes walking you know, through the trees, walking across the deck. I go, hey, Sharon, hey, Sharon, look, there's an iguana. You know, we've got an exciting team. Everybody needs to watch. Uh, do you know Jack Roots? Hey, it's great to be on. Shoot, I'm a big Mike Sosha fan. You need to hook me up with Mike Sosha so I can go pick his brain and uh, see if I can draw a little uh, angel coaching philosophy brilliance from him. If I'd gone to Key West High School, by this time I'd have a boat. But I'd be a lot better lobster diver. I'd be a lot better fisherman. I would have seen more sharks. 
I'm sure I drove in and out burger way back in the day when I was teaching swimming lessons and you were running in and out. I mean, think about that for a minute. Yeah. Any one of those lines, how many coaches do you know that would utter even one of those lines, much less the entire montage, all of those lines? Like, I'm really sad this morning. I'm really sad this morning, but I'm not sure that he would want us to be really sad this morning. I think that Mike Leach would want us to celebrate his life the way he celebrated life. I mean, there is no other coach who has a jungle highlight reel like that. And that's not all of it. You know, like in a sense, Mike Leach is gone way, way, way too soon. Way too young. College football will never be the same. Neither will the jungle. So a part of me wants to celebrate his life. A part of me wants to remember him for the way he was and the way he came in. A part of me does not want to let go, right? A part of me does not want to let go. A part of me is so sad, but a part of me wants to celebrate his life, his energy, his vibrancy. You know, the fact that he saw everything so differently, his intellect, his innovation in all things, not just football. And most of all, the guy was so curious, always so curious. And then he'd walk outside that lane and he would talk about other things. How about that one time he came on? And I'm not saying that this is the only place where he shared this, but it certainly was something that a lot of you clones needed to hear. How about that time he came on and gave dating advice, which included taking your date to a car wash? Thank you for sharing time. We got to do this again real soon. Yeah, it'd be good. Uh, you know, I lived in Canoga Park the whole time I was uh, going to uh, Pepperdine. That's kind of your name. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I got to ask you, Mike, if you were sending somebody on a first date in Canoga Park, where would you send them? The first thing you start off with, there's this car wash, okay, up on Sherman Way and DeSoto. They had the greatest Mexican food. So you go by and you, and you get some real old-school authentic tacos there. Yeah, and Mike, you didn't just tell us to send a date to a car wash, did you? Oh, I would. I mean, you know, I mean, shoot, like I say, you got to get the dialogue rolling, you know. you got to see if this is something that you need to pursue or if the young lady uh, needs to go out with somebody else other than you, you know. That was 2008, 14 years ago. I wonder if any of you clones tried that move in the decade and a half since that conversation. I bet somebody has. I bet that worked. You'd think I was very happy having grown up in the 818 that he was dropping a Canoga Park reference on me. DeSoto and Sherman Way. Like the most 818 thing ever. The most Valley thing ever. It was so awesome. And again, he went to Pepperdine. And he had a law degree. But him talking about not only life in the Valley, the deep Valley where I grew up, but a car wash. And I knew exactly that corner and that car wash he was talking about. And then there was that incredible rant about what went down when he got fired at Texas Tech. Remember how personal that got. There were serious finances involved. This is exactly what I mean when I say that this guy spoke his mind unlike any other, unlike any other coach in the game, and maybe unlike any other figure in the entire sporting world. Guys will get fired whether they should or not. I mean, heck, I got fired, and they didn't even pay me for 2009, and that's the last time that Texas Tech has won nine games. Can you imagine that if all of a sudden the radio people, the end of the year, they owe you a balloon, a balloon payment, and they say, well, we're not going to pay you. And, and, of course, they couldn't get away with that in most countries, and they couldn't get away with it in any other state except Texas. Um, the fans at Texas Tech were fantastic. 
and also the administration, our presidents were great, our chancellors were great, except the chancellor at the end, Kent Hansen, so I will name his name, who was a, a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and, you know, and a, a career politician, which he's a prime example of why nothing can get done in Washington. You don't have to look any further than him, although don't expect the truth to come out of his mouth. Mike Bleeping Leach. I mean, who else would say something like that? Not only who else would say something like that, he always said things like that. This is what made him so amazing. But let's not lose track and get caught up in that personality. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant offensive mind. And although he learned the air raid from others, he was the one that perfected it, had his own coaching tree, and then you not only see it all over the college game, but you see it all over the NFL too. So... On the one hand, I am really sad, but you hear a certain bounce and a certain energy in my voice because I want to celebrate his life. I want to celebrate what he was about. I want to celebrate all the amazing conversations we had on this program. And I want to be grateful for that because, believe me, as somebody who interviews people for a living, I've interviewed a lot of people who have nothing to say. This guy always had something to say, amazing things to say. And while not perfect and over the line at times, he was never ever, ever afraid, and never not authentic. So I will miss him personally, and I know the jungle will too. Oh, yeah, that right there. That is the best sound ever. That is the best sound ever. It's also a reminder that it's time to knock out that new business idea and to start with Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anybody from anywhere. So whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it is time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. And with Shopify, you will customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create diehard fans. Shopify can help you with all of that. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. Find out for yourselves. Sign up right now for a free trial at shopify.com slash R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Again, you want to go to Shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, and start selling online today. I don't know where I would be without them. Shopify.com slash Rome. Justin Herbert is my guest. Justin, great to have you on. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Dude, so good to have you. So obviously you're looking ahead to Tennessee, but I want to ask you about Sunday's win over Miami because it seems to me you all made a statement of sorts like that win keeps you in the playoff hunt. It gets you your first win over a team with a winning record, and you played great in all three phases. In your opinion, how big was that win Sunday? Yeah, I think you mentioned it well. You know, all three phases played really well, offense, defense, special teams. Um, You know, the defense came up with some big stops all game long, and, and they held a really good offense too. Um, you know, 17 points, and so that was big for them. Offense, we, we got some 
drives going. Um, would love to finish with touchdowns in the red zone, but uh, that's something we're working on. So uh, it was really good to see from our team. Justin Herbert joining us. Now, not that you're looking for any shortcuts, but like they say, it pays to be a winner. How nice was it to hear Brandon Staley say, you all didn't have to go in and lift yesterday as a reward for that win? Uh, it was good. You know, uh, guys got their body back and, um, you know, we, we've been down a couple guys here and there, but uh, they're going to come back healthy. And, um, you know, we're getting healthy at the right time, so there's a lot of football left to, and a lot of things to look forward to. Hey, Justin, did you take that day off? Um, not not completely. We, we went in as quarterbacks and lifted and, and watched the film, but uh, it wasn't a true day off for us, no. Did I figured. I knew it. I mean, you always hear, you always hear this, that when you're the face of the franchise, you've got to lead from the front. Like, I wonder what exactly what that feels like and what's that mean. What's it feel like to you to have all eyes on you all the time on and off the field, knowing that everybody is taking their cue from you? Well, I think it's a great opportunity for us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of an organization, such a great coaching staff and, and great players, and, um, you know, an offensive line that has done a great job protecting me, receivers, Mike and Keenan that have made plays all year long. And, um, you know, I'm super thankful and, and just honored to be our team. Justin Herbert's joining us right now. I'm hoping that phone line holds up. The connection's slipping a little bit. Justin, you mentioned Mike Williams. Speaking of Mike Williams, how much easier does he make your job and what's it like having him back? Yeah, Mike is an incredible player. He is, you know, a special athlete, and uh, he brings a different vibe, different energy to our practice and to our team when he's healthy. And, you know, he's fighting some injuries, and, and he's doing everything he can to be out there. Uh, but he's an exceptional player, a great leader, and a great great teammate in that locker room. Well, it's obviously your bias, but it's so good for you to have those guys, he and Keenan Allen, both on the field. At the same time, once again, you haven't had too many opportunities like that. You will be biased, but would you put that tandem of Williams and Keenan Allen up against any other duo in the league? Yeah, but I think they're two of the best that I've ever played with and, and two of the best that I've ever seen. And You know, I've got so much respect for them, uh, for their game, and for them as athletes and competitors. And um, You know, they're doing everything they can to be out there and to be healthy. Um, I, I know they're tough competitors, they're fighters, um, and, you know, we've got a different offense when they're out on the field with us. Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert's my guest. Brandon Staley said after the game, Justin, that you guys played, quote, a very hungry game. I mean, it seemed to me, tell me I'm wrong, it seemed to me like everybody came out with a little extra juice, a little extra emotion. If that's the case, what fueled that? Yeah, but I think it was just a good week of practice, uh, of preparation, and knowing that, you know, we're facing a really good team on Sunday, and we had to do everything we could to, to watch film, to get, um, you know, to get healthy and to get out there and, and play football. And, uh, you know, it was really good to see from all three phases for, for them to show up and uh, hold some, some big stops and turnovers um, and, you know, ending the ball uh, in the end zone with, with our receivers. We're talking to Justin Herbert for a few more moments. Austin Eckler said after the game that you shared some thoughts with the team when it was over, and it's not something that you necessarily always do. I mean, I'm sure it was between you and them, but I'll ask anyway. Can you share what was your message? What were your thoughts to your team after that win? It was just, you know, if we wanted to, you know, it's getting your body back in. You know, the Titans are a very good um, we have to be at our very best. Uh, I'm going to jump in, Justin, only because I feel like talking to you is always a great opportunity, and I don't want to waste it. The connection is not great. 
I just want to see if we can reestablish that and spend a few moments together before I wrap that up. Because, again, I really do appreciate the opportunity. We don't get that very often. Justin Herbert coming off a huge game in that win over Miami. Passed for 367 yards. Once again, more passing yardage in his first three seasons than any quarterback in the history of the league. Chargers, I consider that a must win. And they got it. They're 7-6. and six. Still on the playoff hunt. Second in the AFC West. My EP, Tommy. Trying to reestablish connection right now before I give up on that conversation. Because, once again, you don't get that very often. Thanks, Alvy. That's helping. Talking some Charger football. We'll see. We'll see if that can be salvaged. No promises. Again, if you joined us at the very top, there was some very sad news this morning. The passing of Mike Leach. If you want to share your thoughts on that, go ahead. If you want to talk about the Chargers win over Miami the way we are or were, you can go ahead and try that as well. Other things I want to get to, normally on a Tuesday morning, I begin with my recap of Monday Night Football, but we have reestablished a connection. I've got a couple of more moments with Justin Herbert. Justin, I appreciate the uh, patience very much. It's good to have you on. So we were talking about what you were saying to your team. Can you kind of share? You were talking about how it was important for your teammates to get, get right physically and bounce back. What else did you tell them after that win? Yep, sorry about that. Uh, just that, uh, you know, We've got four games left, and and we have to do our best for those four games. And you know, we we got to sacrifice as much as we can to to ultimately get where, where we want to go. And uh, you know, it starts with practice this week, and and we got to take it one week at a time. Um, so it's a great opportunity for us to get out there and, and play some more football. Justin, I want to ask you something. It's pretty interesting to me. Despite having two really good seasons, and then having to overcome some adversity this season, you were suddenly subject to all this scrutiny this year. Have you heard it? And what do you make of it? Um, I've actually done a pretty good job of staying out of, um, you know, anything that, that goes on outside of our building. If it's not coming from a coach, a teammate, um, a family member, I, I don't pay too much attention to it. And, um, you know, I try not to let those things distract me and, and what I'm trying to do here at this facility. So, uh, you know, we've got a great team here and, and we're focused and we're dialed in uh, for this week of practice this week. I want you to know I heard exactly what you just said. I'm not pushing it. I'm not starting anything. But I want to ask you this. You've never, ever gotten caught up with where you and Tua went in the draft. But obviously there's been much made of the fact that he went one pick higher than you. Was there any additional satisfaction in that not only did your team win, but you outplayed him to the extent that you did? I mean, even for you, Justin, was there any part of you that wanted to say, how do you all like me now? Um, I've got a lot of respect for Tua. You know, I think he's an incredible quarterback, uh, an incredible teammate, and, um, you know, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, you know, just it's been so much fun watching him play and watching him develop, and, you know, I've learned a lot from his game. And, and so, you know, that's one of those things that I've, I've enjoyed watching him over the past couple of years, and, um, you know, I've got a lot of respect for him and that, that Dolphins organization. So um, I wish them nothing but the best. Much respect for you, Justin. I appreciate that response. Listen, fair enough, but you have more passing yardage now through your first three seasons than any quarterback in league history. Again, I know it's not about you. Again, I know you have unfinished business. All that said, it is a record. What does that distinction represent to you? I Well, I appreciate that. I think it's a sign of all the hard work that we put in together um, as a team here. And, you know, I think back to all the receivers and the tight ends that have made plays and have you know, we've been able to push the ball downfield to those guys because, you know, they're special playmakers. And it, it doesn't get done without Keenan and Mike and J. 
JG, uh, you know, all these receivers that we've added up here, and um, especially an offensive line that has allowed that to happen. So I've been really thankful to be a part of it. All right, so really quickly, you've got another big one coming up on Sunday against a wounded but division-leading Tennessee Titans. Now, when you think of Mike Vrabel, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a really physical game. What are some early thoughts you might have about the Titans in that matchup? Yeah, they've got a really good defense, you know, um, and, and a good offense as well. So it's definitely a tough matchup for us. And, you know, they're, they're very special um, on the offensive side of the ball with, with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. And um, we have to be prepared for all the things that they're going to do on defense. And, um, you know, like you said, they, they play fast, physical defense. They fly around. Um, and so it'll, it'll be quite a challenge for us um, to have a good week of practice, prepare for, you know, a really good football team, but a uh, great opportunity for us. Hey, Justin, the thing is, like, I respect your privacy a lot, so much so that I respect my privacy a lot. I don't know if you know this, but you and I are neighbors, and I've got this inside information that you guys sometimes have victory barbecues. I would be offended that I never got an invite, but then again, I never invited you to any one of my barbecues either. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's definitely something that we could, uh, we could work together. together. Dude. Dude, what, a, what an amazing swap that would be. I would trade you one victory barbecue at your place for one afternoon at Javi's. Your Javier's of your choice. That sounds like a plan to me. That, that sounds like you're. that's a no to me on both. <laughs> right. Listen, dude, I appreciate you so much, Justin. Thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for fighting through that phone line. And really good to get caught up with you, man. Thanks so much. Yep, sorry about that. Thank you again. Not at all, dude. Appreciate you so much, Justin Herbert. Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. Quickly, why don't we recap what happened last night? Like, I would imagine there's a pretty good percentage of you Cardinal fans who went into last night's game wondering, man, how could this nightmare of a season get any worse than it already is? Like, not possible, right? Impossible, right? And then every single Cardinal fan found out on the very first possession of that game, on the third play from scrimmage, to be exact, Cardinal fan found out exactly what worse looks like. So much worse because on that play, Cardinal fan and Cardinal organization finally hit rock bottom on this bleep show of a season when Kyler Murray scrambled to the right, cut up the field, and then fell in a heap without contact. Here's Murray. He takes off and stumbles, brought down at the 44 as he picks up three. And after going down awkwardly, he can't get up. ESPN on that call. Listen, I'm no doctor and I don't need to be and neither do any of you to know that when a guy goes down like that, 
and there is no contact, that's bad. Really bad. And all reports so far are that it's as bad as it looked and sounded. Initial tests indicate a torn ACL. The diagnosis is expected to be confirmed later on today. And Cardinal fan would like to borrow a word from Mac Jones to express their feelings on this one, I'm sure. Mac's favorite word, apparently. You know, the F word. Man. Hey, I want to say I like Mac. I just want to say that. I like Mac. I do. But not as much as Mac likes that word. Mac loves him an F-bomb. Or at least that's the impression you get watching Pat's games these days. An F-bomb is either his favorite word in general or his favorite word to scream loudly on national television at Matt the Ticonderoga Pencil Patricia. It's hard to tell. All I know is that Mac has some fire in him, yo. This is becoming a reoccurring theme. Last time we saw Mac and the Pats, it was on TNF against the Bills. Mac was seen screaming, quote, throw the effing ball. The effing quick game sucks at Matty the Ticonderoga. And why not? Man, he won't let the guy throw the ball more than three yards. Can the guy take any shots downfield ever? Ever? It's still one of the greatest things that's ever happened, I think, under the hood's watch. Mostly because interesting things never happen under the hood's watch. Which is why that was such a jarring and awesome outburst from Mac. Because that is not the Patriot way. That's like the most unpatriotic thing ever. That is not the Patriot way. Even better, in my favorite part, my favorite part other than my favorite part, is that the guy didn't deny it. Mac did not walk that back in any way after the game. The Patriot way would have been to walk it back and promise that it will never happen again. That's not who he is, and that's not the Patriot way. Deny it? Hell, the guy basically pulled a, yeah, I said it. Yeah, you heard me. He almost looked over at the Ticonderoga and then the hood and then the face liquor and said, yeah, I said it. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought, hood. It was so awesome. It was one of the least Patriot way moments from a Patriot player ever, which to me made it one of the best Patriot moments ever. And then last night, what did we get? More of the same. Yes, New England won the game. Yes, they scored 27. But did they really? The offense only scored 20, and they looked pretty much miserable the entire time. I know Mac looked miserable the entire time. Mac looked more miserable than we were watching that game. When he dropped that very audible and loud F-bomb on the broadcast early in the third quarter, The Patriots were still trailing by three to a Cardinals team that again lost Kyler on the third play of the game. The Patriots trailed that game at halftime. I mean, the the Cardinals are a disaster. They're a disaster that had a disastrous night. They saw their franchise quarterback go down, and the Patriots were still trailing. In fact, if Cliff kicks a 48-yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one with 36 seconds left in the first half, then the Cardinals would have taken a two-possession lead into halftime. But that's not what they did, of course. 
They went for it. They didn't get it. They let the Pats drive right up the field and then kick a field goal of their own, and then Arizona never scored again. Good job. Good effort. Cliffy. So what I'm trying to say is the final score, scoreboard might be scoreboard, but the final score in this case is pretty much a liar. This was not some triumph for the Patriots, Patriots offense. They didn't, this doesn't mean they figured it out. This was not some sort of victory for the offense or for the Ticonderoga. In fact, it was the exact opposite because it was more of the same exact crap and exactly the same rage coming off that same quarterback. It wasn't only Mac trolling the pencil for his quick game over the last week or so, by the way. We didn't get to this. I meant to get to this before the game because I couldn't believe what I was seeing or hearing. Cardinals D coordinator Vance Joseph. All right, pretty respected guy. Pretty respected guy on a team having a horrible year. He did the same thing in the buildup to that game. He said that the Pats offense looks, and I quote, like a defensive guy is calling offense. It's like a defensive guy's calling offense. You know, he's <laughs> it's how a defensive guy will call offensive plays, right? You know, let's 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 not turn the ball over. Let's let's get four yards of play and you know try to burn clock, and that's what they're doing. You know, and that's what he's gonna do on Monday night. I mean, damn, that is incredible. And notice that wasn't like some off-the-cuff remark that somebody got with some really bad audio that I made Alvin play back or turn up so we can decipher. Did he really say that? I mean, right to the media, clear as day. It's like some defensive coach calling offense. It's like a defensive guy's calling offense. When have you ever heard a coach dog another coach? It's like we're... Our scheme is effed up. Or schematically, we're kind of effed. What an incredible thing for any coach to come out and say ahead of any game. But wild to hear a D coordinator getting so out of pocket about the Patriots offense, about the Hoods offense. And by the way, so accurate. I don't care what the outcome was. I'm just shocked that he said it. It's exactly what happened. What he said is exactly how it played out. They got over. They got away with it. They won ugly. But that's who they are. They're not going to beat anybody who matters playing like that. Not if they get to the postseason, if they get there. So, of course, while everybody is clowning the pencil for a short game, he then turns around and he calls his shortest game ever. You've got an opposing coach going, hey, man, you know what those guys are? That's a defensive guy calling an offensive game, and it's a short, short game, yo. And then he calls an even shorter game. 12 screen passes for Mac last night. And you wonder why Mac was F-bombing again. I mean, can this guy ever push it down the field once? I know he can. Will they allow him to? No wonder he's so upset. I mean, this effectively is becoming a reason to go. You got a guy with a Ticonderoga behind his ear who's an alleged rocket scientist, yet he can't dial up anything for the quarterback to throw more than four yards. Pretty good reason why the dude, Mac, was seeing red all night long, why he was red-assed all night long. 
And then after the game, once again, Mac did not deny that he was venting frustration at his own coordinator and offense. We see the frustration, the emotion, the sparks, and we think, uh-oh, something's wrong. But you say it's just competition and that it actually can have a positive impact. How so? Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, this is a, an emotional game. And I think everybody feeds off emotion. And at times, we're, we're too flat. And that's what I try to do is motivate my guys. And they responded really well, the defense, everybody. So shout out to everybody on our team for responding. And we got to get to work. We got to finish, uh, get ready for next week against a good team. That's not how I interpret that. I don't think that's competition. I think that's a quarterback pissed off at the offense. I think that's a quarterback who cannot believe that the alleged smartest guy ever brought in Matt the Pencil and Joseph the leader of men to run that offense. I don't think that's Mac being competitive. I think that's Mac being pissed. I think that Mac's being, are you kidding me, Hood? This is the offense. You, you made this decision. I mean, like, Lisa Salters asked that question, and in a way, it was crafted for the clones because she said, hey, Mac, we see the frustration, the emotion, the sparks, the F-bombs, and we all think, uh-oh! 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 Now, I think that everybody with a rational mind, everybody not named The Hood, was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, before the season started, when it became clear. Like, it seemed like such a joke. There was no way he was going to bring back those two failed coaches to run the offense when they've got no business and almost no knowledge of offense, when, in fact, that's exactly what the plan was. And then he implements the plan, and then it doesn't work, and he didn't change the plan. We all thought, "Uh uh-oh, there was no way Matt freaking Patricia was going to call plays and Joe, the leader of men, was going to help. No way. It never made sense. It still doesn't make sense. And the fact that this offense is a sloppy, dysfunctional disaster, which is run by an F-bombing, frustrated quarterback, lets you know what a mess it is. Mac's not happy. And can you blame the guy? The other enormous, uh-oh, uh-oh, goes out to Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime. I know they're sitting on extensions, big extensions. I'm not here to fire anybody. You know me, I like that franchise. I like those guys. But the fact that they both still have jobs going forward, they should be really grateful. You know, guys constantly come on and say, I feel blessed. I feel grateful. I believe them, generally, when people say that. Those dudes should feel grateful and blessed that they still have gigs. Because you can't look at that team and that season and not think anything other than, "Uh uh-oh. And now Kyler is down. So there is no more illusion. The season is over, and it could not have been a bigger disaster than it was. From the study clause in his contract to the Hopkins PED suspension, to Cliff and Kyler bickering, to Kyler saying that they were schematically effed. Schematically, we were kind of To his knee being shredded on a non-contact play. They went from being schematically kind of effed 
to completely, utterly, unequivocally, and completely effed. Uh-oh. That's rock bottom. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Alex Golish is my guest. Alex, great to have you on. How are you? Man, I appreciate you having me on. Beyond excited nine days in now and and beyond excited to, to take this task on of, of bringing USF football back. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the nine days you just mentioned because I was talking to Trent Dilfer recently who's getting his shot at being a head coach on this level for the first time, and I said, what's it been like getting the gig, assembling a staff, recruiting, retaining, and getting ready for the early signing period? And he literally just laughed and said, I don't think I've slept in 48 hours. You mentioned those nine days. What have the nine days been like for you? <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I've talked to Trent twice and uh, and I feel like both times he's called me has been just a vent. I'm like, man, I, I wonder if Trent needs something. Really doesn't mean anything. Just just wants to see if it's as crazy for me as it is for him. And I said, hey, Trent, we, we play each other here. Let's not talk until we we actually get a chance to play each other. <laughs> and uh, but but it's uh, it's been it's been fascinating. You know, I, I think you you prepare uh, for a situation like this. Um, you know, you start years out, you know, I, I've taken the last two summers as I felt like, man, I'm getting close to, to maybe taking, taking a shot at, at, at this, this whole head coaching thing. And, and uh, the last two years, you know, I've taken time in the summer when we get a little bit of time away and have really put a, a detailed plan together of what it's going to be like, um, you know, and, and had continued to tweak the plan because you don't have time to, once you, once the season's over and you, and, this happens you you're hitting the ground running and and so the last two summers I've taken time to really put a detailed plan together and when I say detailed plan I I mean what what does the first 12 hours look like what does the next 12 hours look like what what do days two to three look like you know and then how does that first week finish up and and then what do the next two weeks look like and and then obviously a 30 60 90 day plan to to what what you're going to do so for me and and you know, being an offensive coordinator, you, you, you're constantly planning and, and ready for situations as they come up. And so in a lot of ways, this is, this is like first and 10 and, and you're making a decision and then it goes to second and four and you're making a decision and you got a third down plan. And, and um, I think the, what's happening in college football has thrown a little bit of a wrench in everybody's plan in a positive way, you know, with the transfer portal and the ability to rebuild a roster uh, with what NIL and that landscape has, has really looked like. 
But I think the last two years at Tennessee have prepared me in a lot of ways for all those things because we're right in the right in the heat of all of it. And so I felt ready to go, and 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 obviously they were able to make the hire before it, before you were able to get out on the road and and really dive deep into it. So it's been a lot, uh, but it's been a blast. And like I said, having a plan going into it was really crucial, and um, and I'm having a blast right now. Hey, Alex, I think I know why they hired you. That's amazing. That's an amazing response. I want to go back to what you just said, that for the last couple of years, not only have you been preparing for this, but you literally adopted like a playbook or a manual. I mean, did you create an entire manual that you could have dropped on anybody that you interviewed with that would have applied to any situation? And what else was in that? That's that's amazing that that's the way you went about that. Yeah, um, you know, I think a lot of it depended on where the where the opportunity was going to come, and, and probably should have started with that. Um, you know, depending on on what the opportunity was geographically, the coaching staff you were going to put together. Um, you know, that was one big part of it. And I think when when I sat down and interviewed, um, the opportunity that came um, that that part of it had to get adjusted a little bit based on where where you thought you were going to go. Um, you know the everything from from a practice schedule to to the recruiting outline to the recruiting culture to how the recruiting staff the off the field staff was going to get structured um, to schematically what you were going to do and and I think that adjusts based on on where the players that you were going to be able to get were but at the end of the day the crucial part of it was to be able to get in in that first week of December I think. I think that is a huge part. It doesn't determine what three to four years down the line look like, but it certainly determines what your first year to two years look like is how early this could be done. And it was critical for me to get get whatever the situation was going to be done by December 4th so that we could hit the ground running from there. Um, and because I think, you know, and I, and I know things are, are happening nationally now with jobs are still open and turnover and things, but Man, signing days, signing days next Wednesday, and, and there's what four more days on the road and one more official visit weekend left before you before it goes dead. And so I think the timing of it was absolutely critical. And uh, and to me, Jim, like in all honesty, I, I wasn't I wasn't looking to to take a job. It was it was more the preparation that was going to go into it. And I was totally happy at Tennessee and and working for Josh and and. We got that program flipped, but we still have one more step to go, and I was totally content being there for that one more step. And and obviously, this worked out. This was a job I wanted. This was a job that I that I sought after, as long as the commitment here was was going to be the right one, and it certainly was. Alex Golish is joining us. He's the head football coach in South Florida. So, Alex, what about that? Like, you clearly were ready. And it's a job that you wanted. It's a program that has had success previously, but a program that won just one game last year and dropped 10 straight. But you just said it. This is a job that I wanted. It's doable, but it will not be easy. Why is this the job you wanted? Yeah, Jim, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. For, for whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason, I've been blessed with, with taking over situations like this or at least being part of taking situations like this. Um, you know, I... I've maybe got a little bit of a unique background. Um, I've never chased a job. I've never, never interviewed for a job until this one, and um, or or at least this set of interviews. 
Um, I've always just, just had my feet where I was. I've always just done a, the best job I could at, at where I was and, and have never worried about the next job. I think our profession now probably isn't quite like that. Um, but working for guys like Jim Trestle and Matt Campbell and Josh Heupel, that was the, the culture I'd always sought was, was just do the best job at your job. And if you can get 10 guys plus support staff going in that direction, you could do special things. And, and we certainly did that at, at Iowa State with Matt, and we certainly did that with Josh at Tennessee where, where the alignment was there. You were able to just go to work and do a really good job where you were at and not worry about the next one. So as this season came, you know, I, I, I'd ask not to talk to anybody until the season was over. Um, I, I just don't think you could do your job and worry about other jobs at the same time. At least I can't. I may not be smart enough to, to be able to manage both, to be able to run an offense and, and worry about other jobs. So we got done playing. Uh, we played in Nashville, played Vanderbilt uh, the last game of the year and, and uh, got to my phone and, and I had a text from, from my agent and said, are you ready? It's like, man, can, can I just enjoy this for a second? And, and then, then it, it was a crazy five days there after that last game. And, and this was a job that came up right away and I had always looked at this at this place from from afar. You know, I spent a year at UCF. I've recruited up and down the coast here in, in Florida. And I know every time I I think about this job and just think, man, like obviously Jim Levitt had it going in the right direction and did some incredible things early in that BCS era uh, in the Big East. And and always wondered why it why it kind of fell off. You know, you talk about the the critical things you need to win, which is players and man there's a lot of them and there's a lot of them up and down the coast but there's a lot of them within the three counties that are right there and um and i think as i dug my teeth into the job you know the biggest thing there was really two one was getting the stadium built on campus raymond james is a, is a really cool place a really cool stadium but it's 20 miles away and and i think that was the turning point for UCF down the road where when they built the stadium on campus and were able to cultivate that community, cultivate the campus community, the students, it changed for them. And, uh, and, I, and I felt like, man, if that plan is in place, uh, you got a chance. So that was one. That plan is in place. The, the funding is there. We're going to be playing in that stadium here really, really soon. You know, from a facility standpoint, they've made a huge commitment. Brand new indoor. Like, it's a beautiful setup. And then on the other side of it, the players, the facilities, the stadium being a huge part of it, you know, the commitment to the NIL initiative is here. Uh, it is such a huge, huge sports town. You know, you talk about Tampa, Florida, and the commitment to, to the sports teams here and the success that the pro teams have had. Well, they want a college football team, and there's a lot of – there's 400,000 living alums. They want to be proud of a football team, and so that was part of it. And when you put it all together in the alignment from the administration to, to our board of trustees, to the athletic director, like they, they know this is their shot to go and win. And so when we sat down at the end of the week there and, and their, I saw their plan and not just the vision, but actual, the actual plan, their plan matched my plan. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that were out there. Um, again, staying in Tennessee was one of them. And, and, um, Man, when they laid their plan out, and I looked at my wife, I said, you know, 
the plan's there. If you want to, you want to go do this. And uh, when I had her backing, we were good. Fit. It is everything South Florida head football coach Alex Golish is joining us. Obviously, it, it's a great fit. It's all set up for you. You mentioned your background. The one thing we did not talk about yet, though, your background is fascinating in the sense also, not only in that you've worked in different parts of the country for different head coaches, but if you go back all the way, I mean, your background truly reflects, Alex, like the American dream, right? Your family emigrated from what was then the Soviet Union to the U.S. when you were just seven can you remember, like, what was that transition like for you as a youngster? And then how did you first become interested in football? Yeah, you know, we, we moved here in 91, um, right, right at the fall of the Soviet Union. And, and we, from what I remember from, from now looking back at it and reflecting, you know, we had it pretty good. Um, we, were, we were established and, and things were good, other than the fact that, that my parents knew at whatever point I have an older brother um, that we would end up having to go to the military and, and we wouldn't, weren't going to be able to decide, decide our, our own fate. And, and obviously what's going on in, in that country now, uh, certainly not good in any way. And, and my parents left everything they knew they had for me and my brother, um, moved to Brooklyn. Uh, my, my dad drove a box truck. My mom did random jobs and, and they wanted to give us an opportunity to to go and and chase what is now the American dream. And and for us, I think the one thing my brother will tell you the same thing that that I learned is how to work, and uh, that you work for everything you have. You there's no limit on anything in terms of there's no ceiling and there's no floor. You you go and you get everything you deserve. And um, and I think just seeing them work like that is what what has motivated me to work um i've never never put a put a ceiling or a floor anything i would ever do and that's why i'm so passionate about taking a job like this you know and and like i said you i've had jobs where where it wasn't going to be easy and people maybe looked at it and said man like why would he do that and you look at, again, you look at Iowa State, you look at Tennessee, those are some terrible situations we inherited. And, and both those situations we overcame because we just worked. And, and I'd like to think I was a big part of that work. And so that's what I learned from my family. Uh, in terms of the football, you know, I, I remember, remember growing up in Brooklyn, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of fields you'd play on. We just played in the schoolyard, usually on cement. I always wanted to tackle on cement. I learned <laughs> learned that that hurts and grass is better uh but i you know i i remember we didn't have cable growing up i remember watching ohio state michigan i remember watching tennessee florida on on network tv and thinking man like i want to play in one of those and and as i got older i i had some incredible people high school coaches um around uh one of which is actually going to be joining me here um that that used to pick me up, take me to workouts and, and showed me that, that you got to pour into young people. And if you pour into young people, they'll do anything for you, man. And, and I learned at an early age, really in high school, that that's what I want to do. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a coach. And, and I had an opportunity to be a coach and a teacher for a year. And, and I realized I liked the coaching more than the, the sitting in the classroom part and, and had an opportunity to go GA for a guy named Joe Novak in Northern Illinois. And, and kind of took off from there. But like I said, I, I just, 
I think my background being unique, I've, I've coached on both sides of the ball. I've coached on defense, coached on offense, and and have just kind of got a worldly view of all of it. Um, and man, I'm excited. I don't even know where I was going there, but I'm excited to, <laughs> to, to go to work here. And I feel like I've hired a bunch of guys and, and gals that that are in the same mindset as me. Um, feel like we've still got to finish the staff out, but just a bunch of workers, just a bunch of people that are willing to grind. Um, at the same time, have fun. And I think as I've, as I've grown in the profession and now have my own family, I got two little ones. That part of it has become really important that they're a huge part of it. Um, and they're in it with me. I'm just excited to go to work. All right. So Alex, this is really interesting. I don't know if you would even know this, but generally on a show like this, well, on this particular show, we have these topical interviews and I do them and they go seven or eight minutes. What you and I are doing right here is long form. This almost has kind of evolved into a podcast, which I have plenty of those too, but it's because I'm really enjoying the conversation and we probably should have ended this eight or nine minutes ago, but you're this interesting to me and it's this good. One final thought. You said that people would look at you probably over the course of your career and say, why would he do that? Why would he do that? That's hard, man. That's hard. I would answer that without even knowing, but I'm guessing you probably think everything good is on the other side of hard. I want to ask you one last thought. Everybody is looking for the edge. Everybody is looking for the hack. Everybody is looking for the loophole. Everybody is looking to take advantage of the portal. It sounds cheesy, but does hard work still win? Man, Jim, I I tell you, I I think there's no shortcut. Uh, and like I said, I, I've never taken a shortcut to, to getting to this point. Um, I think you've got to have a product to sell. You know, I, I've flown into into Tampa here five times in the last nine days, and every time I fly in, I just look down. I'm like, holy smokes, this is this is what we have to sell. Uh, so I do think you have to sell. You have to have something to sell. I do think you've got to have resources to be able to actually get players, get coaches, retain players, retain coaches. But I also think you, you've got to be real with what's happening, right? Like, I think you've got to be intelligent enough to understand what's happening in this landscape. And I understand just going through it that, again, not taking a single shortcut to get here. I've had all of these experiences. Does that set you up for success? Man, I, I feel like you go through situations over and over again. I, I equate it to, to calling a game. You go through enough situations, you know how to handle them. Um, so the one thing that has never changed, NIL, transfer portal, location, what, you, what your alignment of your administration is to actually be able to have success, the one thing that's never changed in this, book, in this game is that work and hard work and outworking people still matters, both from a playing side, from a coaching side, from building a program side. I think you can outwork people. And, I, and not only do I think that, I know that. And so as, as we embark on this adventure, you, you said it, man, 1-11. You know what? It was 1-11 the year before. And there's nothing sweeter than being on the other side of this thing when, when we do get it flipped than looking back at it and saying, man, we did that. And, um, and without prolonging this, the, the one thought that comes to mind, you know, we, we beat Alabama at home at Tennessee here this past season. And, and I just remember standing on that field and the, and the, the, the field is packed and the goalposts are going down. And I just, I hugged my wife and my kiddos who made it down there. And I'm just 
sitting here thinking, like, it was really cool for, for Tennessee. It was really cool for that fan base. They hadn't done it in 16 years. But it was really cool to just sit there and say, man, like, we did this together. My family, that team, our coaches. I, I had never had a feeling in coaching that, like, I had for that two minutes where I just sat there. got teary-eyed a little bit because you think of everything that went into that years and years and years and the culmination of work that went into that there there's nothing cooler and and i think you know without being cliche about it anything anything worth doing man like if you can go to work with people you care about love and are able to flip a situation i don't think there's anything sweeter there isn't and uh, i'm just excited I get it, and the opportunity is right there to do the same thing or something very similar to that. He's the head football coach at South Florida. We went long form with that, but I got a lot out of that. I hope you did as well. Alex, really good to have you on the show. I know that's not going to be the last time we do that, but great to get to know you. Great to have you on the show. Good luck with that. I know we'll do it again. Thank you so much, Jim. Go Bulls, man. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Drizzle! In Wichita, Drizzle, what's cracking? Yo, what's happening with you, Romy Rome? How you living, baby? Good, dude, good. What's up? Yo, man, I can't call it. You know what I'm saying? First thing is first, man. Look, as somebody who's lost a lot of people in his life, and I I don't know if Leach's family's ever going to hear this, or maybe somebody will hear it that needs to hear it. There's really two things that I learned when I lost my pop and my 18-year-old brother, my grandma, my aunt, all within seven months of each other. You have to live your life in a way that is a celebration of them by making them proud through how you live. That's all you can really do. And the other thing is, it's not exactly inspirational, but, you know, the pain, it never goes away. It just gets easier to deal with. So don't beat yourself up for the days that go by where – you don't think about them because you still have to live your life and your day-to-day life ultimately still has to take precedence over everything else. So if anybody hears that, they needs to hear it. Don't be mad at yourself when somebody passes and you get mad. You have those days where you're like, man, I didn't think about him today. It's okay. It's really, it's okay. Trust me. And everything will be all right. It doesn't feel like it. But eventually, it will get better. That I can promise you. Now, on to Madden L.A. Brody, I'm going to speak very slow just to make sure that you get it this time, you geek. Instead of calling all mad at me and Bick and thinking that you got over on us when you never did, you should have been grateful. We gave your goofy ass completely unnecessary airtime not that you even really matter player just that it was fun to annihilate you and what's this about you're not gonna call me out there in the smack off brody you understand how the smack off works right in order to have 
something to say to me during the smack off. You have to actually get on the smack off, son. All the hours that you spent sitting on the phone begging for a shot. It's got to be worse than waiting on the Raiders to at least make the playoffs. So while my leather interior has got you mad while you cruising around in that hoopy band with three hubcats and a split rim, hear me right now. No matter what you say on this show, no matter what you do on Twitter, I will never respond to you again, Brody, because you need me. I don't need you. You are not worth my time. Now, you was talking about better fish to fry. I've got better fish to fry. I've been out of town with this little mama been trying to holler at me for a minute. If I clog her toilet, I'll call you and give you 50% above cost. Now, Romy, what's my name? Bleeping Drizzle. (laughs) Drizzle in Wichita. Ronald in Baltimore. Ronald, it is great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm actually out uh, delivering packages uh, with Amazon. How you doing, man? Good, dude. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Package right here for you. I'm sorry about that, Mr. Room. Um, Hey, dude, my man, listen, dude, my man, it's all good. We have we have so many delivery people who listen to this program. I get it. I understand it, man. Take your time. Well, listen, I'm here. And uh, I just wanted to say that I appreciate uh, the last hour that I was listening. Um, I feel bad because I, I'm not even for sure of what the uh, coach was. I think you said from South Florida. But his story and uh, just, like, everything that he went through, that was amazing just to hear it. Like, I don't understand how people call and say, like, tell them to hurry up. Like, people like me who are delivering packages and all that good stuff, we need to hear stuff like that to keep us moving. But uh, secondly – Justin Herbert, I'd like to thank you because you did help me catch my par lady the other day. And uh, I feel like I was lucky because I called behind you and we were on the same show. So if you're still listening, thank you, bro. And uh, Coach Leach, rest in peace. Man, I uh, I remember watching the interview with him at the podium and that was kind of like, you know, like, dang, like this dude's like spazzing out. But, you know, you know, like doing your research and stuff like that and, and, figuring the reason behind everything you know you kind of know so like i appreciate him and uh actually when he said to take your girlfriend to the uh car wash took mine to the airport so i just wanted to uh we watch planes of course you know so i just wanted to <laughs> dude how did that go <laughs> ron how'd that oh, go great. oh it was great man i i, I ride past that airport without thinking about that you know so uh i wanted to thank coach for that um and yeah, Mr. Rome, to you, man, I wanted to say this first, but like, I've been watching you since I was like, maybe like 12 or 13, and I remember seeing you on ESPN, I used to think like, damn, yo, this dude just comes on here, and he's like, getting on people every day, and I used to be like, damn, like, this kind of messed up, but you know, just like, as the years, like, flew on and went on, like, you know, I start gambling, and listening to sports radio, and all that good stuff, and you know, dude, I appreciate you, man, like, I started my own podcast, um, I would say I like to. I would like to say I had to let it go with the pandemic, but like, no, seriously though, like I appreciate you, man. And uh, when I'm riding out here for seven, eight hours, like this is what I'm listening to. So keep the content coming, brother. My man, I appreciate you, Ronald. Thank you so much. That's nice. Got to earn that respect. That was a really comfortable first call. My man settled in. I like that. He was the Alex Golish of first-time callers.
V in the fee. What up, V? How you living? Yo, J-Mo, what's up, player? What's up, dude? Yo, you know, I'm just going to respond to my boy, Bruce in Detroit. You know, honestly, his smack was fair. My Vikings dropped the ball. His Lions balled out. Britt, you're just bald. But to be fair, I know that geriatric was watching on his plastic-covered couch, watching golf go off, saying, oh, boy, I can't wait to get that wise guy, V and the V. Oh, boy. Like he's pretending he didn't know my name. Even if you're senile, old man, V and the V is literally only like two syllables. You can remember that pretty easily. But you know what, Bruce? I'm going to give you credit. You're an old guy I like. I like your energy. I actually really like his call, too. He's an elder I could respect. Unlike that wrinkly version of Mr. Clean you got behind the class right uh, behind the glass right now, Rome. Hey, wrinkles, drink some prune juice, old man, and get those wrinkles out of your head. And look for your eyebrows too. Anyways, mid call war, war. My Viking predictions and James Kelly's car wash not getting any jungle karma, but they will get you jungle karma sutra. Hey, Steve, my wife absolutely loves when I call into the show. Ooh, my second war. War Rex Ryan for starting the website, getting off on the wrong foot. But anyways, if you watch the game on Sunday, in closing, I'll say this. If you watch the game on Sunday, you know the Vikings are being stupid with that jump pass with Dalvin Cook, playing that soft press coverage on one of the best air raids in the league on the Lions. So I'm going to end my call by saying this. The Vikings were kind of like Jared Goff's brother, Jack. We beat ourselves. Via- That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Dude, you should have been run so much earlier. And what, V? Were you going to fool me or anybody else with that Jared's brother, Jack reference? Good night now!